1: Welcome to today's episode of Myeloma Crowd Radio, a show that connects patients with myeloma researchers. I'm your host, Jenny Alstrom. We'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Takeda Oncology, for their support of the Myeloma Crowd radio show program. Now, we're so fortunate in myeloma to have access to a wide number of new treatments. An increasing number of them are targeting BCMA or B-cell maturation agents. The first antibody drug conjugate to target BCMA is Blenrep, which is also called Belantamab mafodotin. And um, when we think about incorporating new drugs into our treatments, we also always will think about side effects because I don't think there's a drug yet out there that is without side effects. Now, many myeloma patients are familiar with common side effects in myeloma therapy like gastrointestinal issues or neuropathy or things like that. But with each new drug approval, which we're very grateful for, it comes with a new learning curve about what to expect. So on today's program, we'll be talking about a side effect called keratopathy, which is an eye condition. And we are fortunate to have with us two experts, one in myeloma and one in eye care. So Dr. Gasparetto and Dr. Newman, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Um, Now, before we get started, I'd like to just give a very brief introduction for the two of you. Um, Dr. Gasparetto performs laboratory and clinical research in the field of multiple myeloma. She works on developing immunotherapy approaches to treat myeloma, particularly in conjunction with stem cell transplant. So her ongoing laboratory research projects include the development of dendritic cell vaccines and antibody therapies, and her clinical studies include a recently approved trial involving vaccination with autologous dendritic cells, and included with transplants. Um, Her upcoming trials include new therapies for myeloma. She's an investigator that has used uh, rep in the clinic and has expertise with that. And um, with that, I want to introduce Dr. Gasparino. And then Dr. Newman has been an optometrist in private practice, for since 1992 and was educated at Ohio State University and at Duke University. So we're we're thrilled to get the dual perspective, I think, because most myeloma patients haven't, uh, there are some side effects I know with dexamethasone that can affect your eyes, but other than that, I think we haven't had a lot of expertise, you know, or experience with this kind of thing. So, um, Dr. Agastrata, let's start with you. Maybe you want to explain what Blendrep is and how it works.
2: Sure, of course. Uh, I would love to do that. So, uh, Blendrep is uh, a conjugated antibody. So, uh, first of all, uh, it targets a, a membrane, a protein, that is overexpressed on myeloma cells. It's called the BCMA the B-cell maturation antigen. And this uh, protein is overexpressed um, in the myeloma cells specifically, in fact, uh, is uh, uh, now elevated. is present at a very low level in healthy cells. So, so it, it is a very good target. It appears to be one of the newest targets that we have for myeloma, for treatment of myeloma. And so BlendRap was designed to target this particular protein, the BCMA protein, and is conjugated with uh, what we call is linked with what we call a cytotoxic payload is uh, uh, called uh, mafodotin. And this is, this payload is cytotoxic, the malphodotin disrupts the microtubule, and I don't want to be very complicated, but what it does, well, the the antibody uh, link binds to the BCMA protein, allows this malphodotin, this toxin to be released inside the cell and cause uh, uh, the cell death, uh, induced cell death, so the myeloma cells will stop to grow, to proliferate, and eventually they go to apoptosis, the cell death. And, of course, it works also enhancing the immunosystem in different ways. But the major mechanism of action is linking to this protein that is overexpressed in the myeloma cells and the release of the toxin, the mafodotin, into the cells. And then eventually the cells will die because the disruption of the macrotubule networks. So it's, it's very clever. It's not unique of this drug. We have other conjugated antibodies also available for other uh, diseases, in fact, for other hematologic malignancies. But this is unique of, for myeloma.
1: Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. I think everybody's wondering sure. um, why this drug affects the eye. And you were kind of saying it's methadone. Part portion. Potentially. Yeah, yeah but can it's, you find that yeah. Yeah, yes the actually the malfodotin is
2: the kind of what what we call an off target uh, toxicity so there is an accumulation of this toxin uh and uh and the eye uh unfortunately uh, they ca- compromise for this particular is actually the is is a characteristic of this particular linker and uh and so is 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 the mafodotin toxicity. And that's the reason why you don't see this type of eye toxicity with other uh, anti-BCMA-targeted therapies, like, you know, you're familiar with the bispecific antibodies with the CAR-T cell. So it's specific of this particular uh, and other, actually, conjugated antibody because the, the, the cytotoxic payload is causing, is one of the toxicity associated with
1: this. Interesting. And I know there's another um, antibody drug conjugate being developed in myeloma that, that seems to also have eye issues. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. is it related to all antibody drug conjugates or just kind of specifically the way this one works? No, in no, mama? no,
2: no. It's not. No. I mean, so there are several also approved like uh, uh, but Brentax, for lymphoma that they don't cause the eye toxicity. So it's based on. Hmm the particular type of uh, of uh, uh, linker associated with the antibody and yes you're correct that there was another conjugated antibody that was presented recently in a major uh, uh, um, congress and uh, and there was high toxicity which was a little bit different than what we see we Mm -hmm. observed with this drug so it's not you know I mean unfortunately uh, you can choose a different linker I guess uh, but you may have different type of uh, toxicity I know that some are associated with severe peripheral neuropathy which is something that we like to avoid. it comes with the myeloma territory and a lot of other drugs, uh, you know, very well, uh, uh, that carry the peripheral neuropathy, and so this is uh, that's the reason why this particular uh, linker was uh, was chosen uh, uh, to avoid uh, um, other adverse events like excessive peripheral neuropathy in patients uh, with myeloma. So it's new for the myeloma world, but it's not new for this type of mm-hmm. drugs.
1: Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I think it's something we just have to get used to, right? That, like understanding what the effects are and how to manage it things like that.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because, you know, you, we get familiar with a lot of uh, drugs, right, that we use in the myeloma, so we know yeah. that. Every uh, drug has uh, their own, like you mentioned at the beginning, their own toxicity. There, uh, they are a toxicity uh, kind of profile, and we know what was bad: the GI, uh, the gastrointestinal toxicity, and uh, the, you know, the neuropathy cardiovascular. So this is uh, p- of this particular drug, and so we are learning how to manage and how uh, to prepare patients and how to um, to uh, mitigate the
1: toxicity as much as we can Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and the reason that i asked both of you to be on this show is because you work together with myeloma patients so i think that's a wonderful partnership and and you can kind of share with us together what you've learned from your myeloma patients and and on the eye, you know from in the eye clinic um yeah. So Dr. Newman, maybe you can explain yeah. what is keratopathy because this is a phrase that my momma patients have never heard before typically.
3: <laughs> True. And um
1: how and where does it affect the eye? So Yeah. Let's start with
3: well, that. The, the, yeah, the term keratopathy itself is a rather generic term just meaning uh pathology or disease of the cornea. And uh so a, a keratopathy could affect uh different layers of the cornea, a keratopathy could be caused by a bacteria, a virus, so you can have bacterial keratopathy, viral keratopathy. you can have dry eye keratopathy. So the term keratopathy itself is very generic and uh and it may affect, like I said, different layers of the cornea the The main layers of the cornea are the epithelium, the very top layer which is regenerated very quickly. It's why when people get a little abrasion or scratch, by the next morning it's typically gone because that layer, the cells regenerate very quickly. The stroma, or central layer of the cornea, that's what creates most of the thickness of the cornea. And that layer, if there is a keratopathy or something that affects the stroma, that's where you can have scarring and something that could cause permanent damage. Then you have the what's called the endothelium or very bottom layer of the cornea, the layer of the cornea that uh, is against the fluid or aqueous humor that fills the eye. And that layer of the cornea is the pump for the cornea to keep it clear and make sure the fluid doesn't penetrate from the anterior chamber of the eye into the cornea. So there are certain things, conditions, pathologies that affect the endothelium, which result in a cloudy cornea because fluid gets in from the uh chamber of the eye into the cornea where it doesn't belong. Now in the case of blend rep keratopathy, uh it seems to affect just the epithelium, which is Which is very good because, like I said, the epithelium regenerates very quickly, and so uh, so the effects are not permanent. They do not; it does not seem to cause any kind of scarring or uh, effects to that stromal layer where you could have scarring, and so that is good. And that's uh, now, however, the effects to the epithelium can certainly blur the vision and And cause uh irritation and uh burning uh sensitivity to light, so those things do happen uh with a keratopathy such as we see with the blend rep uh so that kind of gives you an idea of of what's going on there
1: and how do you um how do you diagnose keratopathy?
3: Yes, so to diagnose the keratopathy, we use what's called a slit lamp, and most people who've had an eye exam, you know, might be have, would certainly have been in this instrument. But it's essentially a a, a biomicroscope. It's uh, it allows us to magnify the surface of the cornea, uh, and usually I'm using about uh, about twenty five to thirty. Times or 30x when I do these examinations, and uh, we're able to see the cornea in detail, look for clarity, look for irregularities, and uh, and so that's the instrument we use uh, to to diagnose the keratopathy and to to grade mm-hmm. it and see how severe it is. Uh, that in combination, obviously, with looking at the patient's acuity, how their vision is, uh, those are the Two factors we look at.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, when you think, of, well, you talked a little bit about that there are different, you know, severity levels or, or grades of keratopathy. Do all patients even know when they have keratopathy? Would they kind of at recognize that? At the early oh, stages, my eye?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. At the early stages, and if we're talking about blenrep, uh, this would be say after the first dose of blenrep uh i we see the patients back at three weeks and many times they will say i'm seeing fine my eyes feel normal and i will look in the eye and i will see some keratopathy uh, so it just hasn't become symptomatic but you can have keratopathy without symptoms again it would be mild because as as you you as it gets worse you do start to have symptoms. But, yes, at the early stages, it can be asymptomatic but present.
1: Okay. And do all optometrists and ophthalmologists have experience with keratopathy? Like if I'm a modeling oh. patient visiting my regular eye doctor, will they know what to look for?
3: Right. Well, they. Uh, anyone looking, of course, yes. All eye care professionals have experience with you know many different keratopathies now do they have experience with blend rep keratopathy? The answer is probably not. i didn't have experience with it till I started seeing the patients and uh fortunately and and they're coming out with more and more but uh, uh but there are resources from g s k for eye care professionals to look at uh, to have an idea of what they might see when they see these patients and because the, the keratopathy is unique it it doesn't emulate any other condition like a bacteria or even a dry eye or, a, you know, all these keratopathies that we know from our training, this one doesn't look like it. So um, so it, it, it doesn't, really it's not going to ring a bell to anyone because it's it's new and it was new to me. Now, I will say once you've seen three or four patients and followed them for a few months, then you get a feel of of, you know, how this affects the patient and what it looks like and um, uh, so so, yes, it is a unique pattern on the eye when it when it starts. just to describe a little, perhaps uh, often it starts as a as a ring like pattern that spares the center of the cornea so now we don 't know why uh, you know obviously the the toxin gets to the eye probably through through the tears, and why there's kind of an odd pattern of this. uh, We we don't really know, but that kind of spares the central vision. So the patient's seeing well, but yet they have some keratopathy, but it's in a ring-like fashion around the Mid-peripheral cornea, so, and and that kind of pattern is unique to this. Uh, you know, there really aren't other things that you see this this pattern with. And and I mean, there are several different patterns I see in these patients, but that's one that that I see quite often. And and also kind of explains why a lot of these patients will come in. They feel fine. They still have good vision uh, because. It, it didn't affect the center, and then uh, the ones where it affects the center, that's where the vision starts to become uh, a bit blurry.
1: And can you describe or elaborate a little bit more on these on the symptoms? so there's this ring like fashion that you may or may not have any difference in your in your vision. You could get right. some cloudiness, and you could yes. get some you mentioned kind of like irritation, eye irritation.
3: Yeah. Can you just elaborate
1: yes. on what other symptoms you could see?
3: Yeah, typically uh it's it's as they get if they're past the mild keratopathy and say a more moderate, we would call it moderate keratopathy, then you do see uh the patients will often be a little sensitive to light. They'll describe eyes as burning a bit and uh the the blurriness those are those are the main symptoms. They, they really don't describe, say, a constant pain per se. Um, we're we're not really seeing that, um, and uh, we, we, which is good. Uh, the blurriness has is certainly an impact, and uh, you know there are. And, and I try to educate the patients at the very first. Uh, first, we do a baseline visit. At the baseline visit, I do a complete. Uh, check of the eye, obviously to see if they have any other underlying conditions uh, or or predisposing issues with their cornea that may uh, make them a higher risk uh, for, for a more severe keratopathy as they go on the medication, and and at that visit we definitely as and it has already been discussed with them at Dr. Gasparetto's office about the potential vision vision effects, and then I elaborate a little more, and I definitely let them know, and and it is true, and patients should know this, uh, you know many of the patients uh, typically after the second dose. Uh, that's when we. I've tended to see the, the worst keratopathy, usually about a week or two after the second dose. So that when they come back for their three-week visit, we see them every three weeks um, after that second dose is when I tend to see the worst of the keratopathy. And a lot of times people can't, they might not be able to drive for a bit. Uh, because of the blurriness in their vision. Uh, But almost all our patients, uh, again, in in informing them ahead of time and letting them know, uh, you know, they've, because of, the response they've typically had on the myeloma side, um, they've been pretty accepting, and uh, you know, and, and again, almost all of them have someone uh, with them and or a caregiver, so they're okay. You know, if someone has to drive them uh, for for a bit, and um, so that does happen. And again, most uh, con- I don't know how much of this we want to describe now, but most commonly after the second dose, and then often the patients will have to miss a dose because of the eye findings and what we find is as we go further out they sort of reach a level kind of steady state if you will with their vision and uh where it it's not what it was at baseline typically but it's not what it was after that second dose and they might have you know some mild to moderate effects but for the most part uh most of them are able to resume, uh, their activities. And, uh, and obviously also with the success of the medication with their myeloma, they're feeling better. And, and the thing they tell me, I mean, of course, I, you know, I'm an eye doctor. I, I, am certainly, you know, not a myeloma specialist at all, but I ask them every time, well, you know, how is this compared to, you know, what you've, and, and they all say, oh, well this, the only thing about this medication is the eye effects. They're like, I don't get nauseous. I don't, I feel great. And, mm. and, uh, and so it's that's that's been a very it's been a very positive thing overall, and I think well Dr Gasparetto can comment um uh if you know obviously the feedback on her side is is similar i, I suspect it is if, but I, I always ask them that even though I'm focusing on their eyes just to see how their overall frame of mind is and how they're you know feeling systemically and which tends to be quite good and uh mm-hmm. yeah uh, dr Gasparetto, can you just Comment yeah. on that but on your side you compared yeah. to other no, no. treatments.
1: Yeah, before oh. we do that, I kind of want to have you walk us through this process because you kind of referred to, um, you know, every three weeks and like I just practically yeah. speaking, Dr. Gasparetto, can you first say yeah. like how you consult with a patient who starts splin rep and then how does this process work? Like, how do you connect with a Dr. Newman in your area? yeah well
2: i I feel like very lucky and a pleasure to work with uh, dr Newman so it our process is now quite easy, so I generally see a patient I think the patient might benefit from uh, initiation of blend rap, so I do my part I counsel the patient explain uh in my in my way, what keratopathy is and what can happen, is, what the potential side effects, and like Dr. Nima mentioned, is actually other than that, is a extremely well tolerated drug, and uh, so we talk about the risks and benefits, and then um, we set up, you know, we submit to insurance, and uh, we set up. Uh, an initiation of therapy, and we try to send the patient to Dr. Newman the same, you know, the same day. Well, the the baseline assessment takes a little bit longer, right, Mark? And then, yeah. uh, uh, and, and exactly, but then uh, the subsequent visits are relatively short of about 20 minutes, So we try to set up uh, uh, the appointment with uh, Dr. Newman the same day of the infusion. So the patients go there first, then they come to our office with uh, uh, paperwork and we got facts, of course, uh, we have uh, the form that we have to uh, complete. And then we make an assessment in clinic to determine if it's safe to continue the infusion or if we need to hold uh, a dose, et cetera. So we work very well because no matter what, the patient sees us uh, and Dr. Newman at the same time every three weeks. Even if the patient is keeping a dose, we like to have this continuity so we can actually see the improvement, the stabilization of the keratopathy, the symptoms, and the improvement. So we, we, we work very well. So we, we do it on the same day so they don't have to come. To see us uh, more than once every three weeks. And, uh, and we check labs and make sure that everything else is okay, of course. So that works very well for us. And, uh, and Dr. Newman is accommodating our patients phenomenally. Um, I can't thank him enough, but uh, um, they, they feel very reassured that we have, you know, has, uh, overseen uh, this particular toxicity together.
1: So, if a myeloma patient, um, you have this wonderful partnership and collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Um, if a pa- patient shows up at any clinic, whether it's an academic yeah. center or a general oncology clinic, the patient doesn't yeah. necessarily have to find their own oncologist, right? I mean, you're you're either helping them find a, a um, ophthalmologist or optometrist that can help when you're doing this coordination? Because yeah, that's yeah. very efficient, it sounds like, to go on the
2: same day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, in order for us to prescribe a blend wrap, we have to go through uh, the training, the uh, RAM uh, uh, program, right? Uh, it comes with uh, uh, with uh, uh, this box, uh, this particular toxicity, so we have to be trained uh, uh, the prescribers, the facility, uh, everybody. And so Glaxo um, have done a phenomenal job on coordinating uh, all this process for us and they are uh, uh, capable of identifying uh, eye care providers uh, that uh, can collaborate with the oncology uh, uh, closely. And monitor and following these patients, so you know um, I think that uh, uh, they are trying very hard to make you know the system uh, uh, simplify the system for our patients so uh, all all oncology all of us uh, uh, that are uh, registered to prescribe and able to prescribe a, a blend rep. they have to go we have to go to the REM programs and we have to establish a relationship with our Eye care provider before we start, so um it becomes uh simple so they no the patient does not have to found uh his or an own uh, eye care provider we will uh, uh set it up for them um and we want the continuity so you know it's very important for us that Dr Newman does the baseline assessment so he has an idea of what's going on and also the continuity. Uh, so, we can uh, determine the improvement uh, throughout uh, the treatment. Uh, and so, it will be bad if the patient has a baseline assessment elsewhere, I believe, right, Mark? Uh, is, is, yeah. uh, is, I, I think you have everything there. And so, to follow the progress, the improvement, uh, or the deterioration, because you, you see the patient from the very beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, great. I just wanted the patients to know that they. It's not on them to if they want to take this drug. No, no, to no. They, try exactly, to figure they don't. All that exactly.
2: Out. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. And I think uh, the, you know sometimes uh, um, our job is to make sure that we have this partnership, so it's not difficult for the patient uh, to be seen on the same day uh, for, uh, for mm-hmm. both of us. So I have you know a team of uh, APPs uh, that advance. Uh, um, uh, provider and P, uh, PAs that uh, help me in, in clinic and uh, so they're all uh, uh, registered, they can, you know, follow the patients and they help with the coordination of care, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's very nice so, so because then you walk into the clinic for your Next infusion. And, and the infusions for BlendMap are just every three weeks, right? I mean, that's why you're checking yeah, out your every three three weeks because Exactly, 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 exactly. Well, and also because I, I, I think, uh,
2: you know, we want to have the continuity. I think the keratopathy and uh, looking all the data of the DREAM to study, which led the FDA to approve this drug for the treatment of patients with relapse refractory myeloma. Um, so we learn a lot, but Mark and I have also learned a lot treating our patients and following them longitudinally. Uh, and so it takes uh, is a shorter period of time. It takes about uh, three weeks for the visual acuity to improve, uh, while the keratopathy takes longer. And so I, th- I think the three weeks is the, yeah the for now for uh, the single agent is uh, the interval, but we're learning more about, you know, can we actually go less frequently to minimize, to mitigate the keratopathy, Uh, particularly in combination, can we um, adjust the dosage, can we go uh, rather than every three weeks a little bit longer, and we're learning about that from the follow-up of some of these patients. Uh, you, uh, uh, Dr. Newman was talking about all the lots of patients they have to hold that therapy but what is unique of this drug what well, we see that even when we hold therapy uh, we see um, a durability the, the responses are, remain stable and actually in the dream uh, to study they were following longitudinally the patient responding and, uh, and what's interesting that some patients have to hold therapy for up to more than three cycles, and they still had an improvement of the response, which, you know, is, is not yeah. very common. Otherwise, when you stop therapy, so we were all very excited by this uh, follow-up, uh, this data, because uh, I always reassure the patient and, and tell them, look, if you develop the the keratopathy and other ocular symptoms, don't worry about it because even if we are missing a dose or two, uh, you are not going to lose the response, and it's true. It's true. It's you know. It's uh, it's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, it's, some it's of been remarkable. Uh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. we've
3: we've yeah. had patients uh, have to miss nine weeks, uh, and we even have one yeah. recently we're working with that has missed twelve weeks, and and because of the keratopsy mm-hmm. but yeah. has still maintained their response. So
2: the response um, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a very well, unique community. of the drug. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, yeah. we were talking about side, other side effects before um, Dr. Newman was asking me that question. Yeah, I mean, if you have about 20% that can develop some infusion related reaction with the first infusion, but very the majority is mild. About 20% or more patients developing uh, low platelets, but... We don't see that much, but is 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 one of the potential uh, side effects of this drug. Other than that, is really well tolerated, and uh, um, we don't need to use the dexamethasone for uh, as a single agent. And a lot of you know symptoms are related to the high dose steroids. So it's very well tolerated, very well. And it's convenient because you have to come back to the doctor's office every three weeks. You don't need the central line. Uh, It's 30-minute infusion, so uh, it's also very uh, patient-friendly, convenient, so you don't want to affect the quality of life tremendously, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and this goes to um, show that also... You know, it's been almost a year since it was approved, and I think there's so many things to learn when a new drug is approved, and sometimes you just don't understand that until you have some time with it. So now the both of you are seeing, you know, what is it really like, and and oh, okay, it's very well tolerated, and and yeah, um, yeah, it's so that's really that's really great. Um, yeah, we have we patients have patients. Death, that- oh, go ahead.
3: Oh, I was just gonna say we you know, now we have uh, a good handful that have been on it a year and have maintained yeah. uh, excellent response and uh, I realize it has to continue to stand the test of time and uh, of course we'll we'll see going forward, uh hopefully these people will continue to do well. But uh again these are people that have exhausted uh many almost all their options and now they're they're doing fantastic. So it's a great thing to see. Yeah,
1: yeah, wonderful. Um, Dr. Gasparotto, in the myeloma patients that you've seen, how how um, many patients? Um, well, maybe you can kind of break it up into percentages. Like with the patients yeah, you've seen, yeah. and Dr. Newman, you can comment on this too. Like how severe? Yeah. I, I think patients always are making this. You've both talked about this. About the, you know, they're looking at how effective is this drug, and then what's the level of side effect? Because as I'm picking and choosing therapies, both are the two things I mostly take into account. So maybe you want to break it up with just the patients that you've seen. Um, you know, how have they fared on the eye conditions?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what
1: I, what I, uh, when I counsel a patient at uh, the beginning of
2: uh, uh, initiation of therapy, I always tell them, look. Uh, the chance you develop in keratopathy is very high, is, uh, a little bit over 70%. I always break it. I always talk about the percentage that can help patients. And like we mentioned earlier, not necessarily all patients with keratopathy will have symptoms. Uh, but I would say that half of patients, 50% of patients will develop some decrease, some decrease of the visual acuity, and then about 20, 30% will have the bladder vision. So, so I always remember these numbers from the Dream 2 study, and it's really reflecting the, uh, what we see in clinic. And and always I tell them, you know, uh, if you look by uh, keratopathy, the grade, uh, you know, we can divide it by grade 1, 2, 3, and 4, with 4 being the worst. Uh, the, the percentage of patients developing the worst, that the grade 4, uh, is less than 1%. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the majority of patients developing, uh, I would say between grade 2 and 3, if you break it by number, uh, um, I would say that 20% will be grade 2 and 40% grade, grade 3. And like Dr. Newman said before, you know, we all, the therapy, uh, we make some adjustments if it's necessary until, you know, we, we wait for the improvement. And then... Uh, when we restart the drug, is more kind of a stabilization of their, uh, you know, mild keratopathy. I want to say, um, and, and, and 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 again, I don't think I had any patient that I had to completely interrupt because the keratopathy. I had a couple of patients with mark that were more bothered, and I guess it was the underlying care but the the blurry vision was bothering them. I had one patient that didn't want to continue therapy because the blurriness the blurry vision uh, the decrease of visual acuity seems to improve faster right uh, and at least you know mm-hmm. from from my point of view from the dream two and and uh, Mark can say a little bit more about that, but it looks like they have, and we have we a couple of patients, right, Mark, that they actually did, uh, particularly one well recently, that uh, had uh, a severe decrease of uh, visual acuity, but in the study, there were no patients, like you mentioned earlier, that develop uh, blindness, so that they, have a, a, they didn't have an improvement of the visual acuity, correct? yes yeah
3: so yeah and and, I, I think, and definitely as as you've said uh they do tend to – it's after that initial burst, i mean after the second dose is when we yeah. kind of see the worst effects, and then They, like uh, we've discussed, they might have a dose pause and then things improve. And we get to a level where, uh, let's just say to put an example that people could understand, like when someone comes to me for a baseline and their vision's 20-20. And so they have the first dose, and most of the time they'll come back in, they'll say they're doing pretty well, and they might have some keratopathy that's asymptomatic, and I tell them about it, then they go have their second dose. And I tell them before they go for it that, you know, it's after the second dose that we tend to see mostly infectious, so they're prepared. Then they'll come back, and they might be, let's say, 2070 or 2080, which is significant. And they will say, yes, my vision's blurry. You told me that might happen. And then that level would make it so they would have a pause in their treatment. Then they might come back three weeks later. They may still be at that level, or they may improve to, say, about 2030 which at that level they'll have a repeat dose. If they're still at twenty sixty, twenty seventy, twenty eighty, they might wait and then it'd be a six week pause and then typically they'll come back and they're at that twenty twenty five, twenty thirty. They and, and some people return to twenty twenty. The one caveat to that, which I we haven't discussed yet, is that that's what we call the best corrected vision. So someone might have a certain prescription when they come in here or no prescription and be twenty twenty. but what the blend rep part of the blend rep keratopathy is it does kind of alter the actual prescription to see better so I put them in my machine that we use when people come to the eye doctor and they look through the lenses and we generate what is the best vision we can get for this patient today so it might be back to 2020 or 2025 But, of course, they can't leave the office with that because if we did put that in a pair of glasses, it might work for a week and then – What we notice is each time we see them, the number or prescription to correct their vision is different. And that's something I want to make sure people are aware of. Uh, uh, So um, it's still reassuring to the patient that they look through the machine and they're like, oh, I can see now, but I can't see without it. And unfortunately, like I just said, uh, it's not something you know, they they will ask, oh, well, can you give me glasses like that? And then I could see. And, and of course, we say, yes, we could, but it might only work for a week or so. So we just wouldn't do it. Um, so I hope that additional information helps, too, because we look at what's called the best correct, the best possible vision, which may not, which is not how they're seeing day to day because they don't have that prescription to wear. But most people, uh, stabilized to, you know, let's just say between, uh, you know, even 2020 to 2030, 2040, which is still vision that you can drive with and do most of your activities, again, somewhere in the, you know, two- to three-month time frame after starting the treatment.
1: hmm And, okay, that's very helpful. And, Dr. Gasparato, how, when you do hold the drug, like, and you're, you just, like what Dr. Newman said, you just hold it, and then you say, okay, let's check you next time in three weeks, and let's check you next time in three weeks. And that's how you're looking at it, too, from a myeloma specialist point of view, and then you're watching your labs and, and everything?
2: Yeah. When they come to clinic, uh, we we check their myeloma labs, even if it's only three weeks, and their uh, regular labs, particularly, as I mentioned, for a potential low platelets count and, uh, you know, other uh, labs, abnormality. And uh, so we monitor the myeloma, of course, and so we know every three weeks uh, we, we look for the markers of their myeloma, and we know if the patient, you know, is old in therapy, and is progressing, but as I say, it doesn't happen. Particularly, uh, you know, patients, they they seem to respond immediately after the first uh, dose, after the second dose, and so, you know, when they develop the keratopathy, they already have achieved the response, and when we hold the drug, we don't lose uh, that response. So that is, as I mentioned earlier, very unique. And then, uh, if they develop, uh, you know, more than a mild keratopathy, uh, we make a determination if there is now a complete improvement, a complete resolution. Sometimes we decrease the dose. We go from uh, 2.5 milligram to 1.9 and uh and and that kind of helps and that's the reason why the future clinical trial uh, the combination of uh, assessing you know different dosage and also um, you know longer interval between the dosage but it's too soon to say i think right now it works in this way and we have uh, longer follow-up of the patients in the dream to study which are very encouraging very encouraging showing that, the durability of the responses. Mhm.
1: Great. And how frequently do you have to hold the drug? I mean, what percent of patients? You I, I think okay. uh,
2: yeah, I think that about what I, I can say that probably fifty percent, half of the patient will end up uh, to uh, require a. a um, holding the dose even more, and then I uh, would we'll say that maybe 30%, and if you look at the, the, the data of the DREAM study, that will require, require a dose reduction. But the discontinuation mm-hmm. of the permanent discontinuation of the drug is actually very low. Uh, so it, it happened, uh, I believe it's less than 10%. So... In the study, so and, and in my clinic, you know, yeah, so we, we had patients that they had to discontinue because uh, they they lost the response. But because the, the visual problem, as I say, I, I think a couple of patients for the bladder vision, but not because they were not responding or because they had severe mm-hmm. keratopathy, Just they, they didn't like it. They really didn't like it, so the permanent discontinuation of the drug mm-hmm. is actually very low. But yeah, uh, I would say that more than half of uh, of the patient will require some dose interruption at a certain point. Uh, absolutely, for uh, mm-hmm. even more than uh, three doses, uh, continuing uh, like we say in our clinic, we had a patient holding uh, for 12 weeks, and so, but still maintaining the response, which is is uh is yeah
1: that's very remarkable. Right? Yeah. it means uh, it's a potent yeah. thing that and it works. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, and and maybe that's the reason why we're looking maybe, you know we don't need it as often in the future. I don't know. I mean, but we don't want to lose the responses yet. So we don't want to jump into conclusion and say, okay, everybody is going to receive the drug less often because we don't have the data. So uh, for now we have to continue these dose of these interval because we have uh, all the data. And then eventually in the future we may learn more from uh, clinical uh, studies and see if, you know, we can, uh, we can mitigate the toxicity with the different intervals.
1: Mhm. To me, this just says you need to have frequent communications and be really open with your doctor about what's happening with yeah. you. And then um, yeah. I'm sure, Doctor Newman, yeah. you're you know you're giving her suggestions too about because it sounds yeah. like they have the patient takes a report back to their
3: to oh, their yeah. physician yeah, so you can a, really see a, what's
1: happening from him.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. There's a pretty formalized report. I mean, it's 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 a brief report, but it has all the critical information. And um, and then uh, I often add some information to uh, try to let uh, Dr. Gasparetta and her team know how things are trending. You know, perhaps someone is stable and in a in a dose hold, but but it's looking a little better. But they're still in the category where they have to wait you know three more weeks for us to reevaluate but you know we yeah we communicate uh immediately i always give the patient a copy of the report as well just in case fax email whatever doesn't quite get to the right person they have it in their hand so there's no delay yeah and for us of course uh, a lot of our patients do come from out of town or from far away so being able to time everything on the same day definitely helps and i'd imagine a lot of uh, your other patients around the country here that might be listening to this, uh also that go to say a major medical center, they may have to travel some distance. So being able to coordinate it such that we have the eye exam in the morning and then they they uh see their oncologist, you know, two or three hours later and uh having that achieved in uh one day is, is certainly the ideal um for this well, yeah, for following patients on this medicine.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah and then you're not in, you're not in a weekly dose or yeah yeah it's it has its advantages for sure um so when you hold the dose um or you lower the the um prescription amount um well, let's talk about just um holding the dose for a minute when patients go back on so like they're sustaining responses, and this is clearly um and i I kind of want patients to know that. What you talked about how it works in the beginning is very different from how other BTA targeted therapies work because this is almost like your immune system's delivering, helping deliver this toxic payload. Um, but your immune system yeah. is not like the the working um, tool here. To, to kill the myeloma, right? well no, so, yes and no. Yes and no. I think mm-hmm. the antibody
2: works delivering, linking to the dcma and delivering
1: mm-hmm. the
2: payload, the cytotoxic payload, but also uh, enhance the immunomediated, you know, there is an enhancement of the immune system uh, so we kind of uh, blend up uh, bring recruits uh, and activate other uh, uh, cells uh, of the immunosystem inducing, uh, you know, uh, cell death of the, the myeloma in different way. Uh, and so it's, 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 this is immunotherapy. I think it works directly linking to the BCMA, but also immunobediated uh, uh, inducing uh, uh, cell death through the immunosystem. Absolutely. Oh, okay. That's great. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I would say yeah. that the multiple
1: mechanisms of action, absolutely. Okay, that's wonderful. That makes it more effective. Um, when you put patients back on, um do the same symptoms come back? Do you decide to lower the dose when you put patients back on? How do you how do you do that?
2: So do uh, you know if a patient develop just grade two keratopathy um
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is kind of a mild uh, keratopathy um we generally restart we can restart the drug at the same dose uh with the, the prompt improvement the resolution of the keratopathy uh, if a patient develops uh, a more severe like a grade keratopathy uh, we tend to decrease the dosage um, at time of uh, initiation of drug. Mm-hmm. So okay, that makes um, sense. Yeah, so we we, uh, we 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 can uh, we generally tend to uh, restart at uh, at the lower dosage for grade three, for grade four, which we don't see very much, uh, and that's good. You could resume a reduced dose when there is a resolution and improvement to a grade one or better, but sometimes when you have a grade four, uh, then is when you may want to discontinue the drug. But uh, as I say, we don't see it very often. We don't see uh, this type of, you know, severe uh, uh, keratopathy, the corneal defect, uh, the ulceration very much. And so, um, but but yeah, if a patient develops grade 3, which is more kind of moderate, we tend to resume at a lower dosage, and we don't lose the efficacy, we don't lose the, the effectiveness of the drug.
1: Yeah, okay, that's great. Um, Dr. Newman, so I just want to um, reemphasize, because we talked about this at the beginning of the program, because this is the top layer of the eye, um, this drug cannot... Make a patient go blind, right? I I just want you to be really well. Honest it has about not. I mean, could it?
3: Could I? Could I say a hundred percent that that couldn't happen? I I I, mm. I guess I, I really can't. But everybody who's mm-hmm. been on it so far, um, and even in those studies. Uh, the uh, the Dream Two study and uh, and the 30 patients or so that I've seen in the last year we, I've seen no effects beyond the epithelium so um, so yeah it just doesn't seem to be there it seems to only affect the epithelium in which case yes someone you know someone might have very blurry vision and they might have to be mm-hmm. off the medicine for three months even or four months sometimes up to six months for it to fully go away but they will return to their Uh, pre-medication baseline so yes yeah there you know and I try to reassure the patients that you know we've not seen anyone with permanent damage from this uh, no damage to what we call that stromal layer where you could have scarring Uh, so we have just not seen that and uh, and, and no I've not seen it reported anywhere at this point Mm
1: -hmm. okay great um, that's, well, I think that's the most essential question that patients want to answer. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, right? I mean, that's what we all think about. Yeah. So that, that's um, the, what, the, the, the
2: most important yeah, conversation. Yeah. No, no. I, I think I totally agree. We were saying, uh, we were commenting earlier that that is what the patient needs to know from the very beginning when we start the drug. And so having knee counseling and then Dr. Newman counseling them is very important. Uh, from our pers- different perspectives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dr. Newman, is there anything else that provides relief? Like let's say you have itchy eyes or um, kind of that burning that you were talking about. Are there other things like drops or things like that that patients can use? Right.
3: Well, the, I was reading the, that the patient- steroid
1: drops don't, don't really work,
3: right? Right, yeah. And, again, steroids, uh, typically for inflammatory type condition when mm-hmm. used on the cornea, and, and this is not an inflammatory condition. It's a toxic condition <laughs> due to the medication. So so things that dilute the medicine, so to speak, on the eye, like the artificial tears. We use preservative-free artificial tears, and actually those are, which is great, they're provided by GSK. Uh, they provide the patients and that way they don't have a cost uh, in that uh, aspect of their treatment, which is definitely a big, you know, incentive to compliance. So, uh, because the, the drops can get expensive, when or it's just a, it's another expense that the person would have. So it's wonderful that they supply those. And, and uh, the, the the protocol for the treatment uh, advises four times a day, and we, and we have people, we start people with four times a day. If they start to develop keratopathy you know we go to like every 2 hours on those drops um and sometimes also i will add uh ointment at night which at which a lot of patients have found that uh comforting and helpful uh cool compresses sometimes give people a little symptomatic relief uh, but, yes, the steroids, uh, I, I've not prescribed them for anyone. And, and, yes, you're correct. In the in the initial studies, it, it was shown to be equivocal, you know, basically not effective.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned some other eye conditions that you do this baseline and you see if somebody would be a good fit. Are there other eye conditions that somebody can have that might be a problem for somebody starting? Right. You know, for somebody starting? Yeah, anxiety?
3: I I yeah, I would mention that people who have had a history of prior LASIK, uh, LASIK vision correction, and we have, I think, four patients uh, that I've seen on Blenrep, uh, with that have had prior LASIK. And those patients, their corneas tend to be, or, or in these particular ones, but in general, they tend to be a bit drier. And so they're going to be a little more prone to the blend-rep keratopathy. And indeed, in these patients, it was a little worse initially than what we would see with patients who had not had LASIK. So uh, so I do give those patients a little extra counseling like, hey, it does, this could be worse for you than for some other people. But actually, they've all... I mean, they're still on the treatment, they're they're doing well, and, and their keratopathy, although it was a little more severe, uh, again, not to this severe stage, but uh, more significant, say, after the second dose than someone who didn't have LASIK, they still have recovered to a, a pretty good steady state, you know, after, let's say, three months or so, so, and the other kind of red flag or thing I watch for is people with uh, significant dry eye at, at baseline because uh, those people, their epithelium is already disrupted a bit because they've had cells that have dried up and died. So we uh, the patients will be familiar uh, when they go to the eye doctor with the eye doctor putting a yellow dye in the eye. And uh, that yellow dye called fluorescein, it will stain where where, there, where the dead cells, in other words, the space left by a dead cell. So it, it shows up when I look at it under a blue light, we'll see this peppering on the cornea where all these the dead cells are. And uh, so when we see that at baseline, you know, that makes us more concerned uh, that this patient may develop, you know, a, a little more keratopathy than, than someone who doesn't have this. But, again, and we've seen patients both with the LASIK and Uh, dry eye at baseline, but they've still done well. They've still done well. They've just maybe had their level of blurriness or level of symptoms was definitely a little bit higher uh, as they've gone through this than someone who did not have those predisposing factors.
1: Okay. So interesting. And what about patients with those contact lenses?
3: Right. Yeah. Contact lenses are, you're not supposed to wear contacts while you're on this treatment. So, um, so anyone who is wearing, you know, truthfully, actually, I've not had anyone yet of the thirty or so patients I've seen that was a contact wearer. <laughs> so, so I didn't have to take the contacts oh, away good. from them. But, but, but yeah, it is. Uh, if you read in the Blend Rep literature, it, it it specifically states not to wear contacts while you're on Blend Rep, which makes sense because that lens could be a reservoir for you know, for the the medica for the blend rep that's coming through to the eye and and perhaps increase contact time to the cornea and, and make things worse. So yeah, we would tell patients, yeah, they should not wear their contacts while they're on this treatment.
1: Okay. That's good to know. Okay, I'm not leaving hardly any time for color questions. Um if you have a question for Dr. Gasper and Doctor Newman you can call three four seven six three seven two six three one and press one on your keypad. Um, okay, I have other questions for you, Dr. Galsbretta, while we're seeing if you yeah. have any other caller questions. If you combine blend with other myeloma therapies, I know sometimes um, we've seen this like in Selmonex or maybe you combine it with Velcade and it actually makes your neuropathy better. Or um, if you combine blend wrap with other types of myeloma therapies, which is perhaps where treatment will head next for blood Um, do you see anything making things better or worse? Or So, uh, you
2: know, when we combine uh, uh, A and drugs together with a different mechanism of action, uh, you know, we see uh, an increased rate of response, uh, right? um with all the drugs that's the reason why we we treat uh, patients with a cocktail to increase the effectiveness and also to decrease the chance of the rate of uh, resistance and so we have all these combination that, that they become more potent uh, you know more effective and so uh, there are actually a lot of different combinations. Uh, under evaluation, the different, uh, you know, Dream uh, they have uh, dream studies, they have a different name, uh, uh, a dif- different number based on the different combination that uh, the rat has, uh, has been testing with. And um, and we had uh, some preliminary results presented with bortosumab, with pomalidomide. And I think what is going to be interesting, like we mentioned earlier, um, when it's given in combination, and so maybe more effective because the synergistic, the, the dual effectiveness. Uh, Maybe we don't need to give it a blend wrap every three weeks. Maybe we can give it uh, Mm -hmm. less often and have less uh, of the eye uh, toxicity. And and so there are studies ongoing to evaluate different dosage, lower dosage in combination, longer intervals. And so we are all excited about that. And, and then, of course, you know when it was tested, uh, very heavily pre-treated population, and approved for patients with the really uh, uh, very resistant disease. And so, then the drugs are going earlier into the line of therapy, and so we're going to see rap become very uh, uh, more effective when it's given earlier on uh, during the course of the disease. So, um, so you know, I think we're all uh, waiting for a different combination and evolution of this uh, very important drug uh, that just entered the myeloma world. And is changing, uh, like Dr. Newman was saying, for his perspective and my perspective, I mean, it's, it's changing uh, the dynamic of the disease that uh, some of these patients uh, didn't have any other options. And, but we don't want to keep it just for those patients. We want to just bring it uh, earlier mm. on and uh, and uh, use it uh, earlier uh, to target that the BCMA is the new target for myeloma. So we do have a lot of uh, new aging coming up. And the only other thing that while uh, Dr. Newman is on the phone, uh, we discussed Together, if we have a patient with history with cataracts, maybe it's better to do the surgery before the cataract uh, removal before we start blend wrap. Right? Uh, but yes. because uh, right, we talk about that. Just uh, yes, and we've we had a have... few
3: patients where yeah. we yeah, where we had and and they were able to have their surgery and then start the treatment before, because yeah. of the, yeah. yeah, because the compromise to the cornea with the keratopathy. Uh, they would not be able to have surgery while on the blend rep. So um yeah, that was a great point to bring up. So, yeah. so people kinda yeah. know that. Yes.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, really uh, yeah. unfortunately we yeah, we see a lot of patients developing uh, even earlier cataracts because they eye those steroids that we use. And so uh, that's very that important. And, you know, in the study, we had a lot of patients older than 70, and the rate of keratopathy was very similar to the younger population. So it's actually a very well tolerated, even in a more frail and elderly population of patients. But because they start with a already decreased visual acuity, sometimes we have to be cautious about that. And and the cataract surgery is also part of something, the discussion, I think.
3: Yes. Great. Yeah, and it's ideal because that helps. Oh, that helps maximize their acuity going into the treatment. Exactly,
2: exactly. exactly.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I have one final question for both of you. Dr. Newman, do you have any other comments from? an eye specialist um, perspective, you both said that since this is a very well-tolerated drug, and Dr. Newman, you're asking patients, you know, how they're doing with their myeloma in addition. But do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share?
3: Yeah, just that people, if it's uh, proposed to them, I, I just I don't think they should be afraid of it. Uh, uh, you, you know, there, there just haven't been any permanent negative effects the vision, even though you'll have some temporary uh, temporary effects, or perhaps a, a low grade of effect that will stay with you through the treatment, but uh, but the uh, the benefit of the treatment, at least what we've seen so far, has, has definitely outweighed uh, for for again almost all the patients we've seen outweighed uh, the the side effect to the vision.
1: Okay, wonderful. Thank you. We're well, we're so grateful that you're on this show and I'll thank you both in a second. But Doctor Gaspretto, um yeah. I, I know that many myeloma patients need all available drugs on the table when they're considering care. So do you just wanna yeah. close with how and when you use GlenRup in the clinic? Uh, yeah, so, so, you know,
2: uh, it's, it's becoming a very important drug uh, in uh, our clinic, in the community is, the, um, you know, we have, uh, uh, in addition to BlenRap, we had other drugs in the development or recently approved with the same target, the BCMA targets. so we are uh, definitely... Um, we're trying to figure out, you know, can we use the, all this drug and what is the best sequence, right? And particularly with uh, okay. the CAR cell that was recently approved. Um, but the problem with the CAR is cell is, is a very important uh, um, procedure, uh, drug, if we want to call it drug. You, you're very familiar with the CAR T-cell. Uh, the problem that we have with the CAR that cell um, you know, it has to be done uh, uh, in an academic center or a large hospital. Patients uh, they uh, have to be uh, in very good performance status, uh, be able to manage the toxicity of the cartisala and also. Uh, so, what I'm trying to say that is is a phenomenal uh, addition to to our. Uh, um, pool of drugs that we have available for this complex disease, but we cannot bring it to all patients, right? It's not there, yeah, uh, right. available for all patients, so particularly, uh, you know, disease myeloma remains a disease of uh, the older population, if you want to say. Uh, I'm always surprised because in my clinic I see a lot of young, 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 young patients, but then when you read that, you know, the the statistic remains more prevalent in the older population and so you're not going to be able to do the carte cell in the, uh, you know in the majority of patients older than 70. you could and, you know there are some patients they are very good performance status but not necessarily it's not available it's not on the shelves available for everybody and so that's the reason why this drug uh, it's going to be very important uh, uh, for uh, these more frail population of patients, patients that don't have access to the academia, and and we're going to see, you know, what's going to happen in, a, in a different combinations. So but that has really changed uh, our uh, uh, treatment. Over the last uh, year since approval, because I have to say that it is effective, it works, um, and um, and we are learning how to manage the toxicity. And uh, so I, I, you know, I, I like this drug. I really, do, I really do. I think is. Uh, is one of uh, the new drugs that really has impact on the course of the disease. And I've been doing this now for a long, long time, for 20 years. So I had the, the introduction mm-hmm. of all the major drugs for myeloma. And uh, yeah. and, and from, uh, you know, the thalidomide to the lenalidomide, the bortosumab. And I have to say that this is another big uh, uh, ammunition that we have for, uh, to 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 fight the disease, prolonging probably the lives of uh, many patients, um, it works. And so uh, I'm glad I'm here with Dr. Newman because I think if we are able to mitigate the toxicity and outpatient patients to be able to tolerate uh, the drug, and it seems like we don't have a lot of issues. Uh, as soon as you learn uh, to manage the toxicity, I think it's obvious that... Uh, is doable and uh, is feasible for uh, for a lot of patients, including the, the older patient, the more frail patients, uh, which you know sometimes we can't treat in the same way um, because they are not going to mm-hmm. be able to tolerate therapy, right? So this is very important, yeah, right, also For that population of patients, right?
1: So I'm very yep, excited to
2: to yeah to continue to treat patients with myeloma and having. Uh, more more options available
1: yeah i think it's really stunning what's happening and i'm just i'm grateful for all these approved new approvals and for the companies that are making them possible because yeah like what you're saying you know not one therapy is the right thing for every single patient for everybody I, I,
2: exactly exactly yeah, no. you have to tailor you have to to adjust therapy based on the individual the age uh, the type of myeloma the other medical issues and so uh, we need to have more and more options so, so we can apply to all our patients again uh, you know not all patients that we're treating with blend wrap could be eligible for the cartisol and the cartisol might not have worked mm-hmm. uh, you know for them so it's, it's another option and I, I hope my hope is that we can sequence this drug, including the Mm CARP cell, uh, you know, go early and then sequence uh, and being able to reuse the same targets with a different drug. And we do have other uh, drugs in the myeloma with the same targets, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and they can be reused, yeah. In different combinations yeah. or after yeah.
2: a different exactly. period of time or exactly. whatnot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. So we just have to wait for the data to become more mature and we have a longer follow-up of the dream too. We're learning a lot. And uh, very exciting. I mean, it's, uh, and I know one of the things that uh, is uh, very difficult is to counsel the patient. So I'm glad that Mark mentioned about, uh, you know, the 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 fact that uh, all the symptoms are reversible because uh it is a new it's a new war for us it's a new toxicity
1: mhm right we just have to gain experience well we are so, i am just so grateful for the both of you that you are willing to take your time to share all that your experience with patients because you not only have the academic side in the studies but you have the practical real-world experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Patients coming to your clinics every day who are taking this treatment. So we're just so thankful that you took the time to share your experience with us.
3: Absolutely, uh, anytime. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. our pleasure. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you, and keep up the great work. Um, Patients will continue to come to you and and be glad that they are. (laughs) So we're thankful. For you both. And yeah, we're, we're definitely for our, our, yeah. Yeah. our audience. And thank you for listening to Loma Crowd Radio. We invite you to join us next time to learn more about what's happening in myeloma research and what it means for you.